You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to talk draft with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com and spotlight the Minnesota Vikings with Mike Wabshaw from the Vikings Entertainment Network. And Brian, let's get the podcast started today with Rich Hammond from the OC Register. Rich, thanks for taking the time. I'm sure the Rams did their due diligence, but do you have any sense if they have concerns about the -the off-the-field issues Marcus Peters dealt with in Kansas City? Apparently many other teams around the league were not interested in making this deal. Right. I, I certainly don't think they're blind you know, to, to what's happened with, with Marcus, even, even going back to his college days. I mean, you, you kind of have to have your head in the sand to, to not be at least aware of, of the issues. But, uh, you know, you, you have to believe that they've kind of done their due diligence on that and, and talked to him and, and kind of found out what the issues were there, were there and, and how they can resolve them going forward. It, it certainly is a, a risk-reward. I mean, you, you don't get a player – of that caliber uh, for the price that they got him at, you know, without taking a little bit of a risk. But they think that it's worth it. Um, They think that they have a good support staff in place when you talk about, you know, not only Sean McVay, but probably more importantly, uh, Wade Phillips, you know, probably the most respected defensive coordinator in the NFL. Um, And then they think they have some good, they they really like their secondary coach, Aubrey Pleasant. They they think he he commands a lot of respect from the players. Um, So the Rams think that they can kind of, you know, give him, uh, give Marcus a little bit of a fresh start, uh, bring him into a different situation, give him some good support and and hope it works out. But like I said, you, you don't make a move like that without knowing that there is some risk involved. Yeah, there is risk involved anytime you have a player that, that comes from somewhere that has an issue. But this team had issues that I think we all don't want to re- go back over again, which was the team couldn't get anything done over years other than what they were able to do this past season. Tell me how big of a year was this for this organization, knowing that they played well with the same players that Coach Jeff Fisher had, but then you start adding players that can actually bring some to the table, especially on the defensive side of the football like Marcus Peters. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said I expected them to make a, a one-year you know jump the way that they did. I, I looked at it from going four and twelve in 2016. I thought getting to 500 this past year would be a remarkable, you know, a remarkable improvement. I didn't even see how they could get to eight and eight if we're being completely honest. And, and then they end up winning 11 games and, and winning the division. So kind of changes the whole dynamic of the thing where you think, well, it's going to take them, you know, three or four years maybe to get this thing turned around and start building with some of these young pieces. And then all of a sudden, a year later, you know, they win the division. So it kind of really changes your expectations and uh, maybe even the window for, for winning that you think you might have. And I think that's why you make a move like this for Marcus Peters. You don't just sit back on, on your laurels and say, oh, okay, well, we had an 11-win season. You know, we, we can ride with that, you know, for the next year and, and with the guys that, that we have. I, I think it really changed the perspective over there and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe we're a Super Bowl contending team. Maybe if we add a couple pieces, uh, make some improvements, like you said, you know, strengthen up that defense a little bit, uh, do some pre- preemptive moves in case they do lose a guy like Jermaine Johnson. 
uh, you know, they, I think their expectations have changed a little bit to where they don't want to take a step back in 2018. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to assume that. A lot of people are probably going to think, well, you know, it, it was a fluke year. Uh, you know, they, they, had, they didn't have any injuries. They were pretty good there. Uh, the division was down a little bit. So, so maybe the Rams regress a little bit in, in 2018. And that could happen, certainly. But I, I don't think the Rams are looking at it that way. They're looking at it like, hey, how can we build on this thing? And, and what moves can we make this spring and this summer uh, to, to strengthen that roster? Talking Rams with Rich Hammond from the Orange County Register. You alluded to Tremaine Johnson, who got the franchise tender a year ago. What does the Peters deal mean for him? Well, it most likely means he's looking for a new home. You know, that, I think that's just the reality of it, and, it, and it's kind of been the reality for a while. Like you said, they, they've tagged him two years in a row. So this has been a long, long time You know that, that they've been talking to Tremaine Johnson, talking to his agent trying to work something out. It, it's regretful in a way. I mean, Tremaine, uh, he grew up in Stockton. He's a California kid. Uh, he loved being out here. You know, he had some family nearby. It, it's, it's a little, you know, sad from that perspective that, that it didn't work out. But, I mean, this has been a long, long process where they've tried to get something done, and, and it just didn't work out. So I, I think what you're seeing here with the, with the Peters move is kind of a final recognition of, of that, I think, that, that it's probably not going to happen. And the Rams thinking, well, we, we need to make a move here. You know, if we're going to lose our number one quarterback, quarterback uh, the number two guy came on Webster is recovering from a torn Achilles. So I don't, I don't think they wanted to be in a position of weakness, you know, going into, into March, going into the free agency or even going into the draft. Uh, I, I think they wanted to make a move before then that, that would stabilize that group. And, and now maybe they can turn their attention to, uh, to some other positions of need. Ritual, we had a chance to see this team do last year, start with Jared Goff. Um, I think offensively, hands down the best in the game when it comes to getting touchdowns, regardless if they don't have a household name player like a Julio Jones. Uh, the defense, you, you mentioned Wade Phillips uh, being able to to create some things, starting with Aaron Donald and, and moving forward with the other players on that defense. Give me your take. Do they have enough to make a move forward uh, to becoming the best team in a division let, because you see what's taking place in San Francisco. Uh, you know Seattle's going to be in the hunt. Uh, you know Arizona is just a quarterback away from being able to compete. Will they be strong enough with what we've seen so far to be the best yeah. team in the West? Yeah, and it's a really interesting division now. It's almost like it's turned upside down almost, you know, to where everybody was looking at Arizona and, and Seattle just, a, you know, a year ago. And, and now, you know, the Rams and Niners look like they're, they're the teams on the rise. So certainly an interesting dynamic in the way that that's changed. And, and that's not to write off, you know, the Seahawks and the Cardinals, certainly. Those are two two great organizations. But uh, I, I think the Rams are right there. I mean, their core guys, the guys that you mentioned, they're all so young. They all can still get better. I mean, Jared Goff had a great season, but uh, I think there's things he can improve on. I don't know whether there's a whole lot Todd Gurley can improve on. He had a pretty a pretty darn good year. Uh, that, that looks like a complete package to me, but, but certainly he can maintain that level. Uh, they have some young receivers. You know, if they keep Sammy Watkins, and, and that's going to be a question here going forward over the next month, they, you know, they can get a little bit more out of that receiver group. Robert Woods had a really good year for the role that they asked him to play. Uh, they can get more out of Sammy Watkins, and, and they can probably get more out of Cooper Cup, who, who had a strong rookie year but, but was a little bit inconsistent at times. So I think what you're looking at there is an is a offense that's still really young and, and was pretty good this year. Um, so I, I think there's still some steps forward that they can take uh, collectively. And then on defense, they're, they're – 
going to need a little bit of work. There, there's some questions about the linebacking core in particular, whether or not they're going to keep that group intact, whether or not they might you know, make, look to make a couple moves there. Uh, so the personnel could change a little bit, which obviously you know, changes the way you play on the field. So I guess the, the short answer to the long, long answer there is I, I think the pieces are there. You know, they, they do need to build on it. Uh, they need to make individual improvements. Uh, they need to stay healthy. That's a big one. They, they got really, really lucky in 2017 with not suffering any major injuries. Um, so that's a big part of it. But, you know, the pieces are there, and given the improvements that they made in 2017, I, I don't think you can write them off uh, this coming year. Rich Hammond from the Orange County Register in Southern California is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Rich, let's wrap it up with dollars and cents. Where do things stand with Aaron Donald's pursuit of a new contract? <laughs> Yes, the elephant in the room, so to speak. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting situation, you know. And it's it's a matter of if, if you're the Rams, do you do you make a move that makes financial sense, or do you make a move that that makes your player happy and makes your locker room happy? Uh, and those are competing interests, you know. If you're looking at it purely from a financial standpoint, you have Aaron Donald under contract for for one more year, this fifth year option. You could tag him uh, for three more years after that, since since he was such a high pick. So you could keep that guy, you know, under contract through two, two, through 2021, which is a long time, at, you know, at a fairly reasonable salary given the type of player that he is. But that's going to cause you some problems. Obviously, it's not going to make Aaron Donald happy. And not only is it going to do that, but it very well could make other guys in that room. When you talk about Todd Gurley's contract coming up, when you talk about, you know, some of these other younger guys could, you know, cause a little bit of discord in, in that locker room. So, I think that the moves that the Rams have made here, the, the financial uh, you know, flexibility that they created in Marcus Peters, uh, who only has a $3 million cap hit, I, I think they're looking at that now and saying, okay, it's, it's time to clear a little bit of space. It's time to you know, make sure that we can get something done here with, with Aaron because uh, it, it might continue to be uh, an issue going into the season, but I don't think they want it to be yet another distraction uh, during the season. So, so maybe we're a little bit away, but I don't think it'll go a whole lot longer. Rich, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. The boys of summer are back. And a fly ball well hit. It's back to the wall. He leaps. Can't get it. It's a home run. MLB spring training is here. And you can catch every game from Florida and Arizona live on TuneIn Premium. Rivalry games, split squad games. TuneIn Premium has it all. When the pitch count begins for real, catch every game of the 2018 MLB season. From opening day to the MLB World Series. Live on TuneIn. It's gone. It's a home run. Major League Baseball is on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's get you ready for the NFL Draft with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Tony, thanks for taking the time. You made some headlines last week with your report. The Browns are not enamored with any of the marquee quarterbacks. How could that impact what Cleveland does? Well, I think it's going to impact what they do this weekend, and and that that report was more from uh, from the Senior Bowl and just a carryover from the Senior Bowl. And I think what they'll do is they'll, they're going to closely inspect all the top quarterbacks, both on the field but also in the interview room and and in the medical exam room, to come to a decision is you know is are they is a quarterback worth taking with the first pick of the draft, especially when they have that fourth pick. 
can they come away and take a guy like Saquon Barkley uh, with the first pick of the draft or Bradley Chubb and then wait to that fourth pick to get another quarterback? So uh, it's going to impact it what they do this weekend to see if there's one signal caller that really separates himself from the rest of the pack in the Browns' point of view. Tony, I know when being number one in any draft is a big deal, but when, when you're a quarterback and you go into a draft knowing that the Cleveland Browns has the first spot, how overrated does that one spot become because you know going to that football team is going to be an uphill battle? Yeah, especially in the day and age of, uh, of a hard salary cap for rookies. It's not like the olden days where the top pick was getting a 65 to $70 million uh, a contract over the course of his, uh, or of course of his first contract. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, if it's Sam Darnold or it's Josh Allen, it's not like the uh, the Browns have an established veteran there that they're going to be able to ease a young guy in. Say, like the situation with the New York Giants that have Eli Manning. If they take a quarterback, he's not going to be required to play right away. If they take a guy right away, a quarterback right at the top, you know, more than likely he's not only going to have to play right away, but he's going to have to produce. Uh, immediately, or, or you know, you're going to start to hear the hooting and hollering. So, uh, you know, it, it, I think it is a situation where there's a lot of pressure if the quarterback is taken with the first selection, especially when you, you have to factor in uh, that franchise has needed a quarterback for uh, almost a decade now. Talking draft with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Tony, I appreciate what Saquon Barkley met to Penn State last year with his versatility. You watch these games, you know they used him. Coming out of the backfield, catching passes in the return game, but are you concerned if you're looking at just the pure metrics, he only had 400-yard rushing games? No, not at all. I mean, they were a variety offense where the quarterback also ran the ball. They played in a good defensive conference. I, I mean, the guy, you know, he can take, he can run on the inside. He, he's got good power. He can pick and choose his spots. He's got great vision. He's got the speed to turn the perimeter, beat defenders to daylight, uh, beat, beat defenders in the open field to run to daylight, and as you pointed out, the versatility to catch the ball in the backfield and use it, you be used as a return specialist. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, oftentimes it seemed with Saquon Barkley it was feast or famine. He, he either had a two-yard run or he had a 25-yard run. Uh, but I, I think a lot of that was behind the uh, Penn State offensive line that was mediocre at best. I, I have no uh, no concerns about that for Barkley at the next level. When thinking about the next level for Barkley, how big and how important it is for these first few teams? You're talking about the Cleveland Browns where there may be a chance. You're talking about the Giants where you know he's really, really needed. Indianapolis where he's really, really needed. Um, does, the, does the offensive lineman – does it, does it make a big deal when grabbing a player like a Saquon Barkley because he is dynamic but understanding he needs protection to be able to get between those tackles, a la, let's just say, the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott? Yeah, I mean, it has to be a, it has to be a factor. And the, and the irony is, is, you know, the Cleveland Browns have some good offensive linemen, so it would seem a good fit as opposed to the New York Giants, who not only would need Saquon Barkley but also need some offensive linemen to block for him. So I, I, I think it's something that has, you, you has to be factored in. I don't know that it's a deciding factor, but it's something for consideration. You know, you draft a good running back, you better open. Uh, you better get some good offensive linemen to open holes for him. Just like you know, you draft a quarterback early, you better good. You better have a good tackle to protect his blind side. Tony, if you're thinking about other big name quarterbacks, when you look at UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen, what concerns you more: his polarizing personality or the injuries he suffered playing for the Bruins? They concern me equally. I, I mean, all things considered, if you're just going off the game film, 
Josh Rosen is head and shoulders the best quarterback in this draft. He's the prettiest passer. He's the most accurate guy. He really gets it between the ears better than any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft. He did a great job commanding and controlling that UCLA offense. You know, they would score 38 points a game, the offense, and the defense would give up 39 points a game. But when you look at his pass placement and his accuracy, it's head and shoulders above anyone in this year's draft. In fact, it's head and shoulders above a number of quarterbacks that have come out the past 10 years. Uh, the personality issues, I mean, that's all in the eye of the beholder. Some teams will like it. Some, general, uh, well, some teams, it won't bother some general managers and coaches. Some general managers and coaches will stay away. The injuries are a concern, the concussions, the shoulder injury, you, you know, the fact that you've got to make sure that he's not made a glass. You know, that, that's a big red flag that a team is going to have to be comfortable with and, and say, you know what, this guy's got all this incredible passing talent, but what good is he if he's on the sidelines and he can't stay underneath center each Sunday? It didn't hurt to have Jim Moore Jr. around from a standpoint of having that NFL experience to help out a, a Josh Rosen to get it done. But give me your take on Lamar Jackson. You know, the conversations are more about receiver than it is him playing quarterback. I disagree. I think he's going to be a quarterback at the next level. I, I think I saw, I saw improvement in his passing game. I saw a guy who was a great athlete who was definitely not a run-first quarterback. If you watch the film, he was very patient in the pocket. He didn't take off unless it was absolutely necessary. He does have to work on his accuracy down the field and on some of those longer lateral throws out to the flanks. But he's got the athleticism. He's got to fill out his frame. Still a young guy. But you know what? If you're patient with him and you coach him correctly, you get a good quarterback coach in there, I think he's going to be a productive NFL quarterback. Tony Pauline, DraftAnalyst.com, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's jump over to the other side of the football. Which defensive player at any position do you have the most confidence in this draft class? Well, I want to say Bradley Chubb because, you know, he, he's the name that pops out. But I also like Deron Payne of Alabama when I watch the film on him. I mean, he's a guy who's a playmaker at 320 pounds. He can occupy the gaps. He can take on the blockers and allow teammates to make plays. He's a terrific athlete, caught a touchdown pass in one game, rushes the passer, but does a lot more than just pin his ears and run up the field. He stays with his assignments. He plays disciplined football. Uh, he does what he has to do. I think this guy is really being undervalued. He's probably not going to go in the top ten, but he's going to be a great value down the road. Baker Mayfield, is it all hype or is he legit like most say he is? I think it's somewhere in between. I hate to be diplomatic about that. I, I, you know, I, I just, I'm concerned about Baker Mayfield's next level uh, uh, abilities. I, I, I'm concerned with the fact that, yeah, he was an electrifying quarterback to watch on Saturday. He, he did a great job improvising when plays broke down. He made plays in the pocket as well as outside the pocket. My concern with Baker Mayfield is a lot of the things that he got away with on Saturday, he's not going to be able to do on Sunday. You, you know, some of the way he, he, thread, he threaded the needle on uh, Saturday, not going to be able to do that against uh, NFL defensive backs. If you watched it on film, and I viewed it firsthand at the Senior Bowl, doesn't have a big arm. His deep passes tend to hang in the air, and more often than not, I saw receivers who were open down the field basically having to slow up in routes and wait for the ball to get to him. Kind of reminded me of Johnny Manziel. I, I think with Baker Mayfield, he's going to have to be willing to play in the pocket, to play in a disciplined, uh, disciplined NFL type of offense, to be successful at the next level. I think he can be successful at the next level. I think it's going to take a lot of coaching. It's going to take a lot of discipline on his end. Tony, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. 
Thanks for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. TuneIn has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip hop beats. Sit down. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, Cordell and I discuss the upcoming scouting combine in Indianapolis and what to look for. Cordell, let's start with the notion of draft comparisons. Cops, if you want to sound cool. For example... Josh Allen's been compared to Carson Wentz, big body, smaller school. In fact, they share the same head coach. Take me way back to when you were transitioning from Colorado to the NFL. Was there any comp for you? I'm guessing no, because you were so unique as a talent. No, I I didn't have any, to be honest, other than me being an athlete. And if that's the comp, that was just a generalization of what it was they thought of me, uh, not tagging me to one person, but just tagging me to a nation in a sense, you know, the nation of athletes, guys who can play a multitude of positions and teams like the Indianapolis Colts where Bill Polian was the GM and asking at the combine for me to try out at running back as well as the Chicago Bears and even the Steelers for that matter, asking a question of would you play something else if we needed you to? Uh, And my answer, of course, was yes. But yet, it still resulted and ended with me playing quarterback. But I never had that one. I just had to fight the notion that being a mobile quarterback, um, that I, I, I should, and as mobile and fast as I was, my as big as my arm was, uh, that I had to, you know, settle um, with the narrative that, you know, I couldn't play quarterback in the National Football League. So much so, to where I could have been a very high draft choice in Canada. And I think I was somewhere like the sixth or seventh round uh, when coming into the National Football League and, you know, being the MVP of our bowl game of the Fiesta Bowl playing against Notre Dame uh, to being the MVP in the Senior Bowl, uh, which was the Hula Bowl in Hawaii, uh, to doing extremely well at the Combine and just shot up to the 60th pick overall and had, a, had actually went on a road down to Jacksonville and met with Kevin Gilbride and knowing that they had the 31st pick that year and also had an opportunity with... Um, Coach Sherman, uh, Ray Sherman, had an opportunity to be a part of the Minnesota Vikings, and Corey Fuller ended up getting that spot. And as well as in the supplemental draft, they ended up grabbing Mark Brunel coming from the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, I just had to work up the ladder just to get people to trust, regardless how big of a play, how how many big plays I had in college, how, you know, the the differences of coordinators that I've had over the four years I was there, you know, to just having to go out and play well and have, what, we finished – I think third in the nation that year with Penn State and Nebraska tying, I think for first first place for his national championship was concerned. It was one and two, and then it was us three. And um, as far as a comparison was concerned, no. I didn't have to deal with that. Uh, I had options to, to, to you know work out at different positions, but chose not to because I wanted to be proven and let them know that I was a quarterback, and they judged me accordingly. And I was the fourth quarterback taken in that draft after Steve McNair, who was one, uh, Kerry Collins, who was two, uh, Todd Collins, who was three, and I was four right after him, as, as I said, as the 60th pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you mentioned, you said when teams asked you, were you open to playing another position? You said yes. 
to maximize your versatility because we've heard the comp between your skill sets and Lamar Jackson. Michael Vick has said he reminds him of himself watching Jackson on tape. What happens when Jackson starts meeting with individual teams at the combine this week in Indy? If a team directly asks him if he's willing to change positions, what answer do you think he should say? No. No. See, the difference in that question, excuse me, and the one that was asked of me with the Pittsburgh Steelers was, if we needed you to play another position, could you? That's a different answer. That's a totally different question. Because that, that question doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be playing another position. It's just a question of, if we needed you to play another position, could you? Sure. Like, what position would I ask? They say, running back, wide receiver, DB, wherever. If we need you, I say, yeah, no problem. Because now it's, now it's about playing football. But if you just so happen, out of 32 teams, be that one team and say, we want you to play wide receiver. Would you come in and play wide receiver? My question would be, the counter would be, Will I get an opportunity to be a starting quarterback on this football team? If you tell me yes, I'll give you yes in return. If you don't give me yes, I say no. Because it's business. There's 32 other teams out. There's 31 other teams outside of that one team that asked that crust, that direct question. Because you got to give a direct answer. And you have to be firm and stern on your approach and understanding that your abilities are just that good in comparison to all the other athletes in the combine. And they are. For him to be able to throw the ball the way he does, for him to be able to run the way he does, and as fast as he is, there's not another athlete that can do as much as he can and have the wherewithal at that position, the thinking position, like he does to the point where he can be truly a value to your team. Now the question is, where is that team? Because I feel like he should be able to go in the first round easy without even thinking twice about it. The question just becomes, where would that team be? Because you have some teams uh, that are sitting there, uh, let's just say in the latter part of the draft, in the first round, where he may have an opportunity to go. And my honest opinion, you know, if you ask me, where would that be? I mean, let's look at these teams at the very starting at the very, very bottom. We know uh, the last team on this totem pole for sure uh, would be the Philadelphia Eagles and then the New England Patriots and then you have Minnesota um, then you have the Jaguars and then the Steelers you know teams like those then you have the Saints Keep going. then you have the Falcons then you have the Tennessee Titans okay you have Carolina you have the Rams you have Buffalo they have the 21st and the 26th spot they need a quarterback they need a quarterback in the other places that I mentioned you know who's long in the tooth on these teams um, Minnesota? Are they trusting into Teddy Bridge? How dynamic could he be if he went somewhere like a Minnesota football team? I mean, it doesn't mean it can't happen. Um, not a New England Patriots team for sure. What about a Jacksonville Jaguars football team? You only signed Blake Bortles to a two-year deal. How bad could that be in, in Jacksonville? Last time they had a mobile quarterback, they were pretty darn successful in the very beginning of their career as an organization in the National Football League with Mark Brunell, lefty. Pittsburgh Steelers, I doubt if they revisit that one again. Uh, that was a one-stop shop for them as far as the mobile quarterback being able to do a multitude of things. New Orleans, I don't think so. Atlanta, no. I would want to if I was him as far as Atlanta. I don't have a choice if they grab him. But the Tennessee Titans, for sure. The Buffalo Bills. 
And then after that, it's just hit and miss of I'll give you one. Just, how about the Los Angeles Chargers? That's where I was going, partner, because remember last year there was speculation they had interest in Deshaun Watson. Phillip Rivers went on the radio in San Diego and said point blank, if the Chargers use a first-round pick on a quarterback, I would view that as a vote of no confidence. Well, he's not the GM. He's not the owner. They have to plan for the future. I think the Chargers make a lot of sense if you believe Jackson deserves a first-round grade. Yeah, I mean, he does. I mean, come on. Seriously. Kid was a Heisman Trophy winner. He carried the team on his back. Tell me which other quarterback other than Baker Mayfield carried the team on the back and was successful doing it or remotely close. And who has the capabilities on the National Football League level to potentially do it considering the divisions that these players may go in? I know Josh Rosen, and I said I thought he was the most polished. Josh Rosen. I like him. Just because I, I, because of the approach to the game of football with Jim Moore Jr. at the time before Chip Kelly came along, with Jim Moore Jr. being there around this young kid, it gave him an idea of the National Football League in a sense. May have not been exactly to a science, but you better believe the approach and the understanding of the game with the X's and O's, he got an earful of that. I would say from Jim Moore Jr. I guarantee you he did. Because that's the only way he knows. He taught it from, he, was, he learned it from his father. And now all of a sudden he became that coach. And then he had a chance to go to UCLA. And they had some form of success. Not as much as they may have, would have, may have liked. And I think Chip Kelly does have that ca- the cachet that I think uh, that's needed. Because it became pretty dormant there at UCLA for some time. I think Chip Kelly comes in and wakes it up a lot. Uh, but when it comes down to, to, to an opportunity... First round. I'm not going past the first round with a Lamar Jackson. If someone says he's not a first round player, I'm not going to even say quarterback, a first round player, because that's just how, uh, let's just say, now let's use the right the word, the, the proper way with Bill Polian and what he said. It's exceptional talent. I can, we can use it now. If this is the right time to say his talent is exceptional at the quarterback position, I would say, but to the point where he goes in the first round. Hands down. I mean, it's. It's not second round material. You know, and, and maybe if someone gets him out of setting a second or anything less than that, that's a, to me, that's a steal because he's just that talented. Question is now, how do they go about their business to get him ready? And I think somewhere like the Chargers, if Phillip Rivers has that mentality, he must think he has nine lives. He must think Phillip Rivers must think he has five to 10 more years left. You have to understand, man, Brett Favre had to deal with it. All of them, Neil O'Donnell had to deal with oh, I got you. The difference is the Chargers need Phillip Rivers to be the face of the franchise until they move to the new stadium in Inglewood in 2020, and he knows that, so he's got all the leverage. They need him to sell tickets. That's what this is about. How's that been working out so far? I agree with you. Oh, I mean, if, that, that, if that's what he thinks it is. I think he understands me. that's what it is. Believe me. When it comes to this organization being who they are, it's the Chargers. Their following is going to be there regardless. You bring in that young man in Lamar Jackson, it's going to be something that organization has never seen before. At the quarterback position. Never seen it. Same shock effect that you have down there in Houston. With Deshaun Watson, it's the shock effect. You see an arm, you see speed with the feet. I mean, it becomes a fun day on Sundays to watch this team play at the StubHub Stadium there in L.A. until they move to Inglewood. And if you're moving into Inglewood, why would you wait that long? Like, what's the reason of waiting? 
you want Philip Rivers to open up the new stadium yeah, as a Charger quarterback? He's a potential Hall of Famer and a known commodity and a star, at least, in a town that okay. craves stars here in See Los Angeles. See how far that gets him. See how far that keeps him. He keeps Coach Anthony Lenny's job. See how far that goes. Because somebody's going to have to go. Right? It's going to be Anthony Lynn or Philip Rivers. And I mean no longer than another year or two. And that's the facts. So if they just want to hang on and, you know, bring Phillip Rivers into the new facility, hey, man, I would bring in one of these young kids to sit right behind Phillip Rivers and put him in at some point in time when we need to and have the fans just sitting there drooling at the mouth waiting to see him play. You get a Lamar Jackson on that field and Phillip Rivers struggles and he goes out and he saves the day at some point in time. I don't think they'll, I mean, they, they already don't have enough seats at the StubHub Stadium because <laughs> they only maximize, I think, what? The, the, the capacity is what? Up to 28,000? Right. They're going to need some, some seats. They're going to have to call Jerry's builders, his group, his construction guys, to be able to facilitate some high boy chairs and tables on the outskirts somewhere just to be able to visually see the game and have tickets being sold in some areas because he'll fill the stadium. In my, that's just what I'm thinking. The game has changed. It's not like it used to be. To where, you know, the, the 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 quarterbacks, and to me, unless he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, and don't get me wrong, Philip Rivers has been there forever. Right, but he has, there a has losing to be an end at some point in time. Record, Cordell. He has a losing postseason record. That's my point. So you have to get prepared, and, it, and it's just a part of it. It's not being harsh, not being disrespect. It's none of that. It's just we're getting ourselves prepared to move forward. So if it's just that year that he opens the Inglewood Stadium, I'm hoping as you lead into that season that Philip Rivers at least at least gets into a playoff and win one game. If he gets into the playoffs and win at least one game, that's all, just one. I don't care if it's the wild card, just win it. I think now that entry into the new facility in Inglewood, I think now that it's valid from the standpoint of you know, um, this is what we want to do. This is what we should do. This is the, I get it. Hall of Fame conversation. I get all that. Yes, yes, I, I'm, I'm with it. I'm not negating that at all. But the reality is, this is a talent in Lamar, in Lamar Jackson. This is a, this is, this is, to me, bigger than trying to figure out. You know, Kenny played the wide receiver position and all that great. Nah, he's a quarterback. Few things need to be polished. Trust me, we see Sam Darnold if he goes as the number one. Things will, some things will have to be polished. Have to, there's, there's no choice. All these quarterbacks, there's a, there's a, there's a very few that comes into the National Football League in their first year and just take it over like a, like a, it's like a whirlwind. But that second year, they may jump, make a big jump, and that goes for all of them. And so I, I, I'll say that for every last one of these guys. All these guys need work. Can't turn the football over that much, Sam, Sam Darnold. Just can't do it. I don't care if he went to the Rose Bowl and then went to, the, went to the Pac-12 champion. doesn't matter. It's not going to get any easier when he gets to the National Football League. Do you care he's not throwing at the combine? Everybody else is. I've heard other shows discuss the notion that Darnold declining the opportunity to throw an Indy could be a red flag. How do you see it? I mean, they said it about all the guys that don't compete at the combine. I mean, think about the players. I mean, you can only go, go all the way back to Christian McCaffrey, who didn't play in this bowl game. How much flock did he get? Still went as, went as the eighth pick overall. 
to the Carolina Panthers. Well, same thing with Leonard Fournette, right? Leonard Fournette with 10 pounds. Top five pick. Water, water weight. I mean, how much does that really matter at the end of the day? So it's, it's come on, man. You know, and, and, and of course, you know who it's for. It's for the beat writers, for the pundits. They want to write a story. You know, and the people who are frustrated, I guarantee you it's not the top three teams. Because allegedly that's where he may be going. But he does apply the pressure on himself even more to have to be really good when they come out to USC to watch him on his home turf. Because when you're on your home turf, you're supposed to be comfortable. On your home turf. And I'm assuming he will because he'll have his guys out there catching it for him. He'll be in his element. He'll be confident and ready and and all that good stuff. And he's going to shine. You know, you don't have any pads on. So uh, that's the conversation you have as coaches with your players. There's no pads on, so the ball shouldn't touch the ground. And that's going to be the philosophy going into it. But they're going to work him. They're going to work him hard. So if he can, you know, he's still going to take the test, you know, whatever they are, whether it's the written test to just the conversations or what have you. But far as his workouts, he's, he's planning on saving that, uh, I would say, for his pro day. And here's the problem. If you come out there looking a little shaky, you don't work out at the combine. I think that's when the question marks are huge because if he comes away with a B at his workouts, I feel like that won't be good enough for him. A B. That's how, to me, important it is to be able to at least do something at the combine, just something. Because if he walks away with a B and they'd be like, ah, he had a tough time throwing the go to deep ball, and ah, you know, is is. You know, when getting the ball out of his hand as far as anticipation, uh, you know, the ball was kind of low in his in cuts, throwing to his left, he don't open his 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 body enough. You know, uh, when he comes from under center, he takes a he he glides and he moves a little too slow and you know, he doesn't have a rhythm with his you know, it's just all those things start sticking now, unless you know, that's the team that's probably five on down to the thirty second spot. But those first few teams that that know about him. Those may be the teams that you hear less, the least amount from. Well, he's not getting past six, right? Let's just say Cleveland decides they don't like him or like any of these quarterbacks. Cleveland at one and four. You got the Giants at two. I think they'd be interested. Denver would have interest at five. Jets would have interest at six. So I'm with you. People want to take shots at Donald in addition to all the turnovers now are going to point out their perception. He does not want to compete at the combine. But to me, he's got nothing to gain. He's got everything to lose, and Cordell, you said it well. How many guys, other than Teddy Bridgewater, had a rough pro day at Louisville and it hurt him come draft time? How many guys mess up the pro day? As a quarterback, it's all there for you to succeed at. It is, but the more times you get an opportunity to do it, sometimes the better. So say they're high on Sam Darnold, and and he goes to the combine, And and he just takes his time and makes some good throws. Because remember, he's going to have to play, you know, in an uncomfortable setting at some point in time during the regular season. So if you can catch him amongst all the other talent to really gauge and measure what he is, sometimes that's a plus. I think more times than not, it's a plus. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Catch up on today's news briefs with TuneIn Podcasts. Featuring Stay Tuned with Pre From CAFE and WNYC Studios, welcome to Stay Tuned. 
New York Times The Daily. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Fox News Rundown. I'm Tom Shalhoub, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Find your favorite news podcast by searching the TuneIn app or by asking Alexa today. Now you're in the know with TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's focus on the Minnesota Vikings with Mike Wabshaw from the Vikings Entertainment Network. Mike, thanks for taking the time. Got to start under center. You know about the reports indicating the Vikings will not be using the franchise tag on Kirk Cousins. We're not capologists, so let's talk in general terms. Do you still think there's a chance they could use the transition tag with less guaranteed money for Cousins? Hmm. Yeah, the the um, the transition tag not used as frequently, guys, um, as it once was. I guess I would leave it open as a possibility, but I still would probably bet against it. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, and, and that's that's not to say it couldn't happen. I think it could happen, but I think that the Vikings, it appears, will consider you know um, a long term deal for any of the three quarterbacks that are under contract until March 14th, and then maybe um, maybe another one who becomes a free agent, another one or two. Uh, and it's funny, I mean. You know, quarterback such a coveted position. Normally, the market in terms of free agency for that position is basically nothing. Uh, when it comes to starting guys, you can find a good quality backup or two every now and then, like the Vikings found with Case Keenum last year. Uh, but this year's different. This year is, uh, it appears that there's going to be a pretty good market for starting quarterbacks, and that certainly makes um, free agency interesting. Well, I, I think that's more, Mike, uh, for teams that don't have quarterbacks and the teams weren't good for us giving up that type of money. But when you're talking about teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars, we saw what they did with Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. The Minnesota Vikings, I think they fall in that same category because the team is so good. If you overpay a player, a quarterback, for example, and they don't get back to that same place, that's a failure of a season. And plus, you screw up the salary cap for the next couple of years, of course, if you talk about a $150 million deal, and then you don't know for sure if this is the guy for the future and the chemistry is going down the toilet. So do you go out and spend that type of money or you just play the game like we saw Jacksonville do by saying, you know what, we'll just give a guy a two-year deal, uh, allow the first year to be guaranteed money, and let's go from there and win because we made it to the NFC Championship without, let's just say, corner quarter, yep. as some say, a grade-A quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly a debate that I'm sure a lot of teams have internally. And, and – you know, when they start out the debate, when the question is posed, I'm sure it's not a unanimous decision. I'm sure they have to they have to battle it out in the meeting rooms, and they have to bring the coordinator in, and they have to bring the head coach in, and you know they got to bring your cap guy in, and you got to talk to the people who run the draft. It's um it's obviously about as important a decision, personnel wise, as a team can make. And the first step for the Vikings this year, guys, was they had to hire a new offensive coordinator because. Pat Shermer left Minnesota to be the Giants' head coach. So the first step in this whole process for the Vikings was to find John D. Filippo, hire him, and uh, and find out what his input was. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. And nothing probably is going to happen here in Indianapolis at the Combine. But the groundwork for what will happen on March 14th starts to get laid here. And that's certainly an interesting part of the next four or five days. 
Talking Vikings with our pal Mike Wabshaw from the Vikings Entertainment Network. You referenced the change on the coaching staff. What is new offense coordinator John DiFilippo? I understand he's only been there for a short time, but in general, what's he been saying about his offensive philosophy and how much continuity do you expect in the transition? Yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting because the Vikings have a new offensive coordinator, but most of the offensive staff is staying the same. Kevin Stefanski is staying as quarterback's coach. Kennedy Polamalu is staying as the running back's coach. You know, Tony Sperano staying as the offensive line coach. So it's interesting that you get a new coordinator, but all the position coaches basically stay the same. And so I think it's, you know, there's going to be a blend of, hey, you know, John, this is what we do well, and this is what we want to keep doing. You know, and then John saying, great guys let's keep doing that but here are two or three or four new ideas that i want us to try with um with our personnel so i think that whole relationship and dynamic is super interesting you know i think i think john d filippo wants um wants a smart uh quarterback a guy who can make good decisions and a guy who you you know the whole playbook is open to him and it's not a situation where a lot of times when a starter goes down and you bring your backup in, you know, like three-fourths of your playbook or a half of your playbook is available to that guy. I think, I think John wants a guy that they can plug in who can do a lot of different things and isn't pigeonholed as one type of guy. You know, the other interesting thing is, assuming the Vikings re-sign one or more of their current quarterbacks or sign a free agent, it'll be interesting to see how they evaluate the draftable quarterbacks this year and do they take one of those quarterbacks in the draft in the first three or four rounds. And so you could have a situation where you get a starter in free agency or a re-signing, but you also get a guy to, to sort of develop underneath that guy. That would be an interesting scenario. And then to sort of dovetail off of the point that, Cor- that Cordell made was, you know, if you go and break the bank, so to speak, for a guy like um, A.J. McCarron or Kirk Cousins or one of these guys who's going to command a lot of money, um, you know, what does that do to the rest of your roster building process? And I think if you look at the Vikings, you know, you look at some key defenders that are coming up for re-signings in the near future, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, Trey Wayne, Daniel Hunter. And, you know, you have to weigh that as well to go back to the point that Cordell was making. So really an interesting time here for the Vikings and, and a handful of other teams who a lot of people are saying are just a quarterback away from taking the next step. And that's what I was getting ready to ask you because you don't know what you're missing until it's gone. And, and I know yeah. it wasn't as productive as some may would have liked to have seen from the quarterback position in Kirk Cousins. But how much more productive can you get other than beating a team that was probably as hot as lava in that NFC Championship game in the Philadelphia Eagles? But you think Kirk Cousins will occur uh, because you think uh, Case Keenum will be missed because while it was conservative, at least it was good enough to win a lot of football games and he ended up finishing 11-3 as a starter. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. You know, I, I think the other thing with some of these other quarterbacks, guys, and we've we've already named them all, and there are some we haven't named. You know, is the situation that you are in. You know, that really helps determine what kind of success you have. And I don't mean to take anything away from Case. Believe me, I, there's no one that has more respect for what Case did than I do. I mean, I he was competing to be a backup with Taylor Heineke in August. And he winds up being the guy who takes us to the NFC title game. So I, I'm not taking anything away from Case, but 
he, you know, the Vikings situation is a really good situation. It's a great defense, a defense that gave up about 17 points per game, 12 points per game in their home games. And you got a pretty good set of pass catchers, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, and, um, and Latavius Murray turned out to be a nice free agent signing. Riley Reef was really good at left tackle. So the, the situation is good. You play in a climate-controlled environment in your home games. So you're never going to have wind or cold weather making it hard to throw the ball. I think Minnesota right now is a good situation for a quarterback. So now we saw how Case performed in a good situation. He performed pretty well. But now let's take a look at some of these other quarterbacks. Um, a healthy Teddy Bridgewater. How would he perform in that environment? Maybe a Kirk Cousins or an A.J. McCarron. Certainly better environments than they maybe have been in. Um, at least consistently. So you always kind of wonder, what would you project from those guys if they were in this environment here in Minnesota? And that's an interesting part of the whole thing, too. Mike Wabshaw, Vikings Entertainment Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Mike, the defense was so good in Minnesota for every game but for one. Was the NFC Championship game merely an aberration, or are there some areas of concern heading into next season? Um, I think it's fair and okay to say that what happened in the title game, you know, should open some eyes on defense. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I think you're you'd be foolish to ignore that and draw a line through it and say, ah, that was just um, you know, one in a million thing that'll never happen again. I think you gotta take a look at that and you gotta pull it apart and figure out what exactly happened and maybe you can take a look at the second half of the New Orleans Saints game the week before as well. Um, just you know, just to make sure you got all your bases covered. And, and really, you know, Mike Zimmer's going to have the ultimate resource for that this offseason. He's going to have John Filippo, the quarterback's coach from the Eagles, the team that did that to him. He's going to have him in his building. So I think John will have some insight into that. And, and I expect Zim will get those, those mistakes corrected. I, I don't think it was a systemic problem. I think it was either a matchup or a you know, a, uh, an isolated problem that they'll fix. I think the defense is going to come back and they're going to add wrinkles. You know, I thought we saw a little bit less of the double A gap uh, pressure looks for Mike Zimmer this year than we saw the year before. And the Vikings still had one of the best defenses in the NFL. So I think you're going to see some continuity on defense, but I think you're going to see Mike, Mike Zimmer throw some wrinkles into there. Ask John D. Filippo, hey, what, you know, what do you think something that we can do better? Or, you know, what made it really tough on you guys? Um, when you were going against us and you were game planning. And, and I think you'll see Mike Zimmer change some things up, but I think you'll see a lot of continuity on the defense, and I think they'll be just as good next year as they were this past season. You mentioned John Filippo being there uh, with the Eagles. Do you think that he knocks on the door of the Philadelphia Eagles to try to grab a Nick Foles? Um, I, I just don't think so, mostly because I think the Eagles value Nick you know, as much or more than any other club. And so I think what it would take to get Nick, I'm guessing, is going to feel pretty prohibitive to most teams. And that, that's just me guessing on how the Eagles might feel about him. I mean, I don't know that, that Nick's value has ever been higher and uh, than it is right now coming off of the, the stretchy games that he just played for the Eagles. And the fact that, you know, Carson, I've, I've watched the star player rehab from, a, from an ACL. You know, I watched Adrian do it. And Adrian was able to come back and play in week one of the following season. But he was on a pitch count that year um, in the first four or five games. Still ran for 2,000 yards, too. But he was on a pitch count early. And so you don't know when Carson Wentz is going to be back. And I think that adds even more value to Nick Foles. So 
I guess just like the transition tag question that we talked about right at the top, I, I guess I don't just I generally don't rule anything out, and I wouldn't wouldn't rule Nick Foles completely out. But that just seems like an unlikely scenario to me. Mike, great information as always. Enjoy your time in Indy compared to what you're used to in Minnesota. This is like going to Hawaii, right? From a weather perspective. Yeah, well, I, I, I was just talking to a couple of our scouts out front of the hotel. I, I do believe this is the warmest it's ever been in Indy <laughs> in the years I've been coming here. And I didn't bring my shorts. I should have brought my swimming trunks or something, but I didn't. Mike, enjoy the balmy conditions, and we'll chat with you throughout the offseason <laughs> on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.